Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me this morning. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin today in verse 21 and read down through verse 26. The danger of anger. The danger of anger. If you're new to us this morning, we've uh, started a journey through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, obviously, the most famous sermon the world's ever known, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, by none other than Jesus himself, Jesus' words uh, to his disciples there at the beginning of his public ministry. And uh, how powerful and applicable these words are to everyday life. And let's read about some of those words this morning. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 21, going down through verse uh, 26. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Father, we are so grateful for these words in the Sermon on the Mount. And may, may we hear these words. Not the type of hearing where it goes in one ear and out the other. But may we remember what Jesus said at the end of chapter 7. That if we hear his words, we will be like a house that is built on the rock if we also obey. All the bad things in life, the storms, the floods that are, that are pictured there are still going to happen. But the difference is the house will stand because it's built on the rock. So Lord, help us not just to hear casually, but to hear and obey. Lord, these words today might be very convicting and hard-hitting for somebody here this morning. And there may be some action they need to take immediately. Give them the courage to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a very angry world. America is becoming a very angry nation. A nation of angry, short-tempered people. Whether it's road rage or airport rage or rage even in grocery store lines. Violence at sporting events. 
It seems like just about every week now, somewhere in the media, they are revealing to us some situation where anger has gotten out of hand. In a study conducted by the Gallup organization and reported on in 1994, Philadelphia ranked first among U.S. cities on what was called the Hostility Index. It it was the result of a long survey. Now, other cities, other top cities on the Hostility Index were New York City, Cleveland, Chicago, and Detroit. Medical experts looking at the results felt it was no coincidence that cities that rated high on the hostility index also had higher death rates. Commenting on the study, Dr. Redford Williams of Duke University Medical School said, anger kills. There's a strong correlation, he said, between hostility and death rates. The angrier people are and the more cynical they are, it seems as though those people have shorter lifespans. Leslie Charles, author of Why Is Everybody Today So Cranky, simply chalks it up in part to the effects of all the technology around us. That everybody is so plugged in. And that the devices that were supposed to free us up have instead done the very opposite. They have us in chains and we are constantly operating on overload. Now no doubt that's certainly one factor but Jesus is going to have a lot more more to say about it. James Gabarino, human development professor at Cornell University, reports a major shift. He writes how there's a general breakdown today of social conventions and manners and controls. He talks about our culture of vulgarity and a complete loss of respect for one another today. When people are tempted to explode, he writes, we used to warn them to keep the lid on. Now we tell people, it seems, he said, to take the lid off. Let it out. But again, even keeping the lid on falls short of Jesus' words because it's still down deep inside of you lying there and simmering. Jesus points out the danger of anger. Anger eats at a person and is far more serious than any of us may realize. Somebody said anger is like somebody taking a glass of poison and drinking that glass of poison and waiting on the other person to die. Sometimes the effects are not seen for years. Minister and writer Ed Rowell writes, When I was young, a neighboring family came down with a devastating illness. Several of the children died and the rest suffered permanent brain damage. When investigators looked into it, they found that the father had had discovered a truckload of discarded seed corn and had fed it to the family hogs. The corn not not intended for human or animal consumption had been an experiment and had been treated with chemicals so that bugs would not eat it before it germinated. Well, the hogs ate it. 
seemingly with no effects. But when the family ate the hogs for breakfast over an extended time, the family became poisoned. Seems like some pesticides and heavy metals don't pass through the digestive system but remain in the body. Now in normal or tiny doses, it's no big deal. But in larger doses, over time, it can have devastating effects as this family found. Ed Rowell goes on to say, that's what happens with anger. Every day we ingest tiny amounts of conflict and disrespect. No big deal, we think. But every day things happen and we blow them off and we don't deal with the anger that's building inside. And then 20 years later, as he says, we go ballistic over some kid riding his skateboard out in the parking lot. And then afterwards, we stand back and wonder where that kind of rage came from. Now, in our passage for today, Jesus addresses this matter of anger. Anger is dangerous. Whether it always lies buried or whether it erupts, it is dangerous. In either case, it's dangerous to the person's soul. Now in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses a number of different scenarios. We'll read about things like lust and adultery, about divorce, about taking oaths, about retaliation, about love for one's enemies. And they're all tied together by a common thread. And that common thread is that they deal with the inside of a person. I want you to look back at verse 20. In verse 20, Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, folks, that's the common thread. Righteousness in God's sight doesn't simply consist of doing the right things on the outside for appearance's sake. Righteousness in God's sight has to do with our heart condition before Him. And Jesus is saying our righteousness has got to go deeper than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's got to go deeper than religion. Because everything we do in religion directed at the outside of a man can't change his heart. You can't change somebody from the outside in. You've got to change them from the inside out. And that's what only God can do. Jesus came so that men and women might understand more clearly what even the Old Testament had pointed out from the beginning. We need a new heart. The law was intended to drive somebody to grace. The law was never ever intended to provide a way of justification on its own. And so the religious leaders had both misinterpreted and misapplied the Old Testament. Jesus said he came to fulfill the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill it by, first of all, living as the perfect, righteous Son of God. He never committed a sin. And because of that, He was able to go to the cross and die in your place and my place and be the sin sacrifice that we need. He came also fulfilling the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. 
Because he was the one the law and the prophets pointed toward. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed forward to the Messiah that would come one day. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Put simply, Jesus came to open the way into the Holy of Holies for all who come to God through him. And when a person has this life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, they're born again. They're born from above. They're born of the Spirit. Now, folks, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God demands perfect righteousness, nothing short of that. And you know what? That means that you and I don't measure up. We all stand guilty before God. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are all hopelessly guilty. And when we understand that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we understand the law of God, and it's like that mirror that exposes our condition before God, we cast ourselves on Jesus Christ. And God clothes us with Christ's righteousness. Now that's the conclusion we should come to as we read the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, the Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live, but it shows us that this kind of righteousness is only obtained through a relationship with Christ. Now today we look at a passage where every single one of us in this building this morning stand condemned. We've all been guilty, including the preacher. Here's a passage where nobody in here can check out this morning and say, you know what, the preacher's talking to everybody else in here but not me, so I'm just going to take a long nap. You can't do that because today we're going to talk about the danger of anger. Anger even in the heart lying dormant there is deadly. And unless God in His grace deals with it, Jesus is pointing out here that it can even be eternally deadly. First thing I want you to see with me this morning is the attitude behind anger. The attitude behind anger. Look at verses 21 and 22 again. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The religious leaders had been letting the masses off too easily actually on this topic. And here Jesus raises this whole matter of anger to a new level. He talks about murder and, and, and the breaking of that particular commandment. If you were to turn back to Exodus chapter 20 and read in verse 13, you would see that murder was the sixth commandment that God gave to his people. He said, you shall not murder. Jesus says here, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Let's, let's pause on that phrase for a few moments and, and let's explore what the Bible told about that before we move on and see the new application that Jesus is going to give it. 
You know, when Jesus said, thou shalt not murder, quoting that sixth commandment, it's always humorous to me today in a sad way. When I read in the news all these schools and organizations that are making sure they take all of the Ten Commandments down off of the walls. I'll never forget a couple of years ago I read a story and I read that story. I wish I, I, wish I still had the source. But I read that story and I could not believe what that school administrator was saying. He said, we've got to take the Ten Commandments down off the wall of the school because if we leave them there, the students might look at them. And if they look at them, I'm serious, this is what he said. He said, and if they look at them, they might read them. And then if they read them, they might live them. And I thought to myself, now, wouldn't that be something in the schools? It'd be great if they did look at them and read them and live them. But then Jesus points out here how the religious leaders of his day got the application all wrong. You see, the penalty for murder, the penalty for murder in the Old Testament of taking somebody's life was that you would lose your own life for that if it was cold-blooded murder. Plain and simple, that was the law. You murder somebody, you maliciously take somebody's life, you forfeit your own life. Now the religious leaders were coming along and they were limiting to that. They were saying if you murder, if you commit murder, you're going to be liable to the judgment or the counsel. Now, yes, there were allowances in the law for accidental killings and things of that nature. This coming Wednesday night, we're going to begin a study in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Along with our Wednesday night prayer session in here, we're going to start going through the book of Joshua when the children of Israel were going into the promised land. And one of the allowances God made, them, made for them was in relation to this matter of taking somebody's life. Because God recognized even in the Old Testament law that there were periods of time when somebody would accidentally take somebody else's life just in the course of living. Some accident may happen that you're responsible for and yet somebody dies. And so what God did was set up cities of refuge and you could go to a city of refuge while the whole thing had kind of been sorted out. And while they figured out what to do with you. And so in the cases of different kinds of killings, there were all sorts of allowances that, that God made because he understood what happens sometimes in a large community of people that things happen. Also in the Old Testament, you have the whole situation of things like just war where God commanded his people to go and take somebody's life. Again, not murder in the same sense. Then you come to the New Testament and conservative scholars see in Romans 13 a case for capital punishment. Again, not murder. Whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, capital punishment was the community acting together to carry out a just punishment. The difference is it's not an individual taking matters into their own hands. 
Now, spend a few moments there because there's so much confusion over this topic today. But again, in the case of murder, the punishment was clear. You lose your life. But Jesus does a whole lot more than simply limit the murder to the action itself. Folks, we need to understand murder does not begin with the action. Murder begins in the heart of the person committing the action. There's an attitude, there's an anger against someone. It festers and that person acts on that anger. We see in the Bible the first family sin in in the Bible after the fall of man was Cain rising up against his brother and, and, and killing him. And why? Because he was, Cain was angry at God and he was angry at his brother. He was angry at God because God accepted Abel's worship and Abel's sacrifice but didn't accept his. And he was angry at his brother because his brother got the upper leg on him in that thing. And so he took his life. Anger resulted in murder. Murder begins with hatred and anger in the heart. Can I ask you this morning, is there some kind of bitterness or resentment or anger or hatred that you are nursing against somebody? It's dangerous. It's very dangerous to just brood on that and and nurse that anger and bitterness and go through life that way. Even if you would never ever act on that kind of resentment, Jesus is pointing out it's still dangerous that it's in your heart in the first place. Because it tends to explode in all sorts of different ways that hurt people. Consider the following story from the Associated Press in 1984. For 43 years, Zenada had been telling people that there was an old World World War II bomb underneath her bed. The story began in 1941 when the Germans advanced towards the Ukrainian city that she lived in. One night at the very start of the war, she was sitting by the window and sewing on her sewing machine and suddenly a noise was heard and a whistling uh, came close by. She got up and in the following moment was struck down by a strong blast of wind. When she came to, the sewing machine that she'd been working on was gone and there was a big hole in her floor as well as in her ceiling. She couldn't get any officials to check it out. Finally, after fixing her roof, she simply moved her bed over the hole in her floor and just decided to live with it. Forty years later, the cable company was laying cable in the area and demolition experts were called in to explore for old buried bombs. Her story had become so well known to the locals and the locals had begun just to sort of laugh it off that one day a smiling army lieutenant involved in the demolition crews came alongside the cable people and asked to see the hole in her floor that she had told everybody about so often. They discovered a 500-pound bomb. Immediately, they brought in bomb experts and demolition experts, and they evacuated all the 2,000 residents around her in the neighboring apartments. 
They dismantled the bomb. Bomb squads did the work and then it was publicized in the local media that the grandmother had been given a brand new apartment. Folks, in reality, no one living around that grandmother, her, she herself, and nobody around her had been truly safe for 40 years. You see, that's how buried anger and hatred can be in your heart. Is anybody around us really safe? Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that anybody in here would go out and act on that anger by actually taking another life. It's more likely that you would simply go out and just spew venom on people. But I want you to understand, Jesus is saying that's where true murder begins. It begins in the heart. It begins with anger. Often those who actually commit the crime of murder indicate they don't know what happened. They'll give a testimony in court or a testimony later on. I don't know what happened. I just suddenly snapped. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Jesus said there's there's an anger there that's been lying there and they've been nurturing that and they finally acted on it. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Can't I be angry at sin? Didn't Jesus get angry at sin? And the answer is yes. Jesus went into the temple and he turned the money changers table over. The scripture in the Old Testament says God is angry with the wicked every day. The scripture says, be angry and do not sin. It's that later phrase that you and I tend to have problems with. But you know what? There are some things going on in the world today that there ought to be some righteous anger over. The the church ought to be angry at what makes God angry. There are things going on in society today that generations ago would have shocked the worst of sinners, but today doesn't even phase the best of saints. What a shame. But Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking rather about this petty anger on the human level that lies in our hearts and, and, we, and we're satisfied to let it stay there. And Jesus is pointing out that it's dangerous. There are actions that can come out of it, but it all begins with the attitude. Well, let's move on secondly to see the real danger to anger. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, Jesus here gives three scenarios And Dr. D.A. Carson and R.T. France and other notable scholars all point out in their commentaries, Jesus' real point is not simply to give three different scenarios. Whether different scenarios or not, he's rather having us look at this same sin of anger and all the different nuances and avenues that it can take. In one case, he says you'll be liable to the judgment. In the next scenario, here's a person whose anger has simmered to the point that he says, Raka. Some of your translations say that. 
It's a word that we can't even translate exactly today. The closest we could come to it would be telling somebody, you're an idiot, you're a worthless person. And usually it involves some type of slander. He says you will be liable to the council, that is the Sanhedrin, and then in the third scenario you say you fool. And that expresses the worst possible contempt for another human being. It is our word moron. Jesus says you'll be in danger of the fires of hell. Again, don't get confused by all the different nuances. The point Jesus is making, this seething anger in a person that builds and builds and boils over, makes a person not simply liable to a human court, but if it's not dealt with before God, it actually puts one in danger of God's judgment and even going to hell. Because you see, it reveals what your heart condition is. This anger, this disgust, these insults directed at another person who's made in God's image reflect something very dangerous about the person's heart. James said, in one moment with our tongues we bless God and the next moment we curse our fellow man who's made in the image of God. Brothers, this ought not be. And he goes on to give the analogy that in nature you don't see a spring giving both fresh water and bitter water or salt water at the same time. What Jesus is pointing out here, if you have anger and hatred in your heart or disgust for somebody else, what in the world does that say about your heart condition? It says that you don't understand God's grace and God's attitude. And so you got a bigger problem. you got a whole lot bigger problem. Let me put it like this too. Anger in the heart, as he's pointing out here, can lead to murder. Everybody last night in one of our major cities who killed somebody in cold blood. Now, I realize, folks, some of those murders may have been random. But you know what? I dare say probably most of them were committed by somebody who was angry at somebody else, who had a grudge against somebody else, and they felt like that person was cheating them out of something. Eric Zorn writes in the Chicago Tribune of a very tragic accident that that shows the horrible power of anger. A man and a woman were driving a van in the far left lane of Chicago's Northwest Tollway in April of 1994. In back were their two small children. Up behind them came a white Cadillac who started tailgating them. The man in the van slowed down. Angrily, the Cadillac passed the van on the right side and then swerved in front of him, nearly causing an accident. The father in the van was enraged. He gave chase. He pulled alongside the Cadillac. Windows were rolled down and the two men began exchanging angry words at one another. The driver of the Cadillac pulled out a handgun and fired into the van. The bullet hit the baby girl in the back. 
entering just under her left ear and exiting above her right ear. The little girl lived, but she's blind in one eye today. She's half blind in the other. She's partially deaf, and she suffers severe mental and physical disabilities. The shooter is in prison, and the mom and dad are heartbroken, and here's a little girl maimed for life, and it all started with anger. Anger can lead to something worse. But you need to understand the danger for you. If that's your heart condition to begin with, it may be a window into your soul that you need to pay attention to. It may be a mirror exposing your condition before God that you need Christ. Because you see, if your heart has never ever been changed toward people, it's an indication your heart has never been changed before God. The two go together. As the Bible points out all through the New Testament, that if we say that we love God, then we better love one another. John says if we hate one another, that's an indication that we don't know God. Some of you perhaps, maybe even somebody in here this morning, you walk around with grudges and vendettas, hard feelings, hatred toward people, anger, and you don't even realize that what it does is it's showing your spiritual condition. And somebody might want to make all kinds of excuses. Oh, preacher, but you don't know what they've done to me. You're not talking to me. You're talking to somebody else. Let me tell you what. You can go on and you can nurse that anger and you can nurse those vendettas and and you can be planning how you're going to get back at somebody and you can be hating them and all that. And you can take that attitude and you're going to end up, Jesus says, in the fires of hell. Can I also say something here about these words Jesus uses, raka and fool, and make a slightly different but I think related application? The words we use might be different. We might say, why are you such an idiot? You're disgusting. You're worthless. I hate you. But the point I think we can also make is we kill people in some ways with our words. How many people in here perhaps grew up in a home with a parent who said things that constantly made you as a child feel utterly worthless? Maybe even a a father said, you're worthless. Why can't you be like your brother? I can't wait until you get old enough to move out of here. What's wrong with you? And a parent said all kinds of words like that towards you. Or maybe a child towards parents say, you know what, I hate you. I hate you, I despise you. Jesus warns about the fire of hell. Folks, I tell you what, it may be in families that this passage right here needs the first application. 
How many husbands maybe have said demeaning and degrading things to their wives or the wife to the husband? We have ways that we kill people. We kill them in their spirit with our words. We get in a fight with somebody. The anger escalates and we end up saying words to them that kill their spirit that we can never, ever, ever take back. If you've been the victim of any of that, suffered from any of that, at the hands of somebody, that anger that escalates and they say something very demeaning and degrading or calling you an idiot or worthless or especially if it was a parent or some family member, I guarantee you to this very day, to this very day, it might have been 30, 40, 50 years ago, but to this very day, I can promise you, you remember that exact day and everything about it. You still call up in your mind. You probably even remember what you were wearing that day, where you were, what what you were doing when words like that were said. And every time today you remember those words that somebody that you love said something to you that hurt that deeply, every time you remember that today, that hurt comes back. Words wound, words kill. Well, what do we do about it? What do you do about it? Third, I want you to see resolving anger. Look at verses 23 to 26. Jesus said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penalty. Resolving anger. Now, Jesus is talking here about the horizontal. First of all, let's go back and review the vertical. What, what do you do there if you realize that all this hatred, all this anger is in your heart and it's never been dealt with? You need to examine your heart before God. You say, preacher, are you saying I'm lost if I have unresolved anger in my heart? I'm not saying that at all. I hope you don't interpret it that way. But I am saying it is at least an invitation for you to look at your heart. Because it may be the very indication that you've never been born again. Now in verses 23 and following, Jesus tells us, how do we we resolve anger on the horizontal level with one another? Jesus points out here you might even be in worship. And they're in worship. Can't can't you just picture somebody in in Jesus' day that he's talking to, somebody even in in our day today. You get up on a Sunday morning. uh, For them, it would have been on on Saturday. But for us, the Lord's Day in the church because of the resurrection of Christ, you you get up on the the day of worship and you're, you're there getting ready. You get cleaned up. You get your suit and tie on. Ladies get their dresses on, get their makeup and 
hair done, all that kind of stuff. We get in worship, and here we are in worship, and we're singing praise to God and prayers and reading the Word of God and, and, and presenting our offerings and hearing a sermon, and all of a sudden, we remember that we're not right with somebody. Somebody got something against us. Now, Andy, you're a firefighter. What's the old saying? Stop, drop, and roll? You know what Jesus is saying here? Stop, drop, and go. Do you realize in the Jewish temple to drop their offering on the floor in their way of thinking that would have rendered it unclean? But Jesus says, no, you're there at the altar even and you drop your gift and you go. And you get right with your brother or sister. And then you come back and pick up your gift again and present it. So if you need to get up and leave right now, we'll understand. I'm serious. No, no, folks, I'm dead serious. You might need to get up right now if God's brought somebody to mind and go and get that right today. And you know what we'll think? We'll think, hallelujah, there's a child of God being obedient to God and going out and doing what Jesus said. Stop, drop, and go. And then come back. What God is saying here, we cannot even worship him in spirit and in truth if we're not right with somebody. Stop, drop, and go. Does a husband need to get right with a wife? Does a child need to get right with the parent this morning or vice versa? A parent, go to a child, maybe even a teenager in here, and say, I'm sorry that I said those things to you. I'm sorry, forgive me. Jesus says, do it, and do it quickly. We say, now, you know what, I'll, I'll put that on my to-do list, and I'll ponder, and I'll think about it, and I'll, I'll try to get done this week. Jesus says, no, you go and do it now. Then he goes on, there's another scenario here as the passage closes out. A case where something has escalated to the point, the, the assumption you would make in reading the text is that in some way you have broken the law. Or at least that's an interpretation. You've, you've done something that, that you've, you, at least accusation is made. Apparently it's a situation you're in the wrong. You've got an accuser, and that accuser is about to go to the authorities against you. And it seems like in the scenario that Jesus is talking about here is a situation where it is still in your power before it escalates to that. It's still in your power to do something about it, to make restitution. Now, if it gets to the courts and you get charged then it's going to be out of your hands for you to work it out with that person. It's now in the hands of the judge and the jury and the authorities. And Jesus is saying, you better not assume that they're going to have any mercy against you. You might be put in prison until you have paid the last penny. 
So Jesus said it would do you well to go and settle that matter one-on-one -on -one with them and not even let it get to that. So again, his point is when you and I have the power to, to make something right with somebody, you need to do it. That's what a Christian does. And you never know who you might impact. You never know what might happen as a result of that. Lee Strobel. You know the name? Christian pastor and writer and apologist. An apologist is a defender of the Christian faith. He's written The Case for Christ, Case for Faith, case for a creator among many other things he's done what you may not know about Lee Strobel is that at one time he was an atheist and he said he was absolutely filled with anger and hate he'd come home so angry and just angry in, in life over whatever it didn't matter he said his little girl, all his little girl's memory, the first five years of her life, she would run down the hall and into her bedroom, close her door to get away from her daddy because she didn't know what he was about to do. She was afraid of him. He came home angry one day, kicked a hole in the wall for no reason. He said he's just angry at life. God got a hold of him. He got saved. His little five-year-old girl went to his wife, went to her mama later. Said, Mama, Daddy's a new man. Mama, whatever it is that God has done for Mama, I mean for Daddy, whatever it is that God has done for Daddy, I want God to do that for me too. And she got saved. Are you nursing something? Is there somebody you need to go to? Folks, what if it's a lost person and you going to them and getting right because of your faith in Jesus Christ and desire to obey Him? You know what impact that could have? That could have the impact of that individual coming to Christ. Deal with the hatred, the anger. First before God, is this, is this a marker? Is this a spiritual marker that I don't know God? That's something to consider. And then secondly, on the horizontal level, if I am a believer, who do I need to go to and get right with them? And what impact might that have? Would you stand please? Folks, the invitation this morning, the invitation this morning is in the text itself. Remember the old saying, if the shoe fits, wear it? You remember that, right? If the shoe fits, wear it. If this text applies to you and me in some way, stop, drop, and go. That's your assignment for the week. Stop, drop, and go. That's the invitation. 